Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to try to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations. I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose. Our guest today is Mr. James T. Nash. James Nash is an outfitter, uh, rancher, and he he has a podcast called Six. It's Six Ranch Outfitters Podcast, right? Uh, just the Six Ranch Podcast and then Six Ranch Outfitters. Six Ranch Podcast. The, the outfitting business and then Six Ranch is where I live. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, dude, I'm really glad to have you on. I've been following you for a little bit. I found you from uh, Braxton McCoy. Uh, I don't know if you recognize the name. He he uh, shared some of your stuff on socials, and I thought it was really cool. So I've been following you for a little bit. And uh, another added part is uh, you were a former Marine, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I was an officer in the Marine Corps for, for uh, five years. Braxton is a good dude, and uh, I've been looking forward to having him on my show at some point. And uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Seems like a cool guy. I've never had the opportunity to personally connect with him, but uh, I, I follow him on socials, and that's where I found you. But um, right on. Without without uh, much more ado, sir, what is your purpose? Gosh, you know, that's a great question, and I'm I'm sure that throughout the life of this podcast, you're going to hear that as people's first response a lot. Is that that's a great question? Yeah, and. When I'm interviewing people, um, there's really no better compliment than when I ask someone something and they say, that's a great question. Then they have to pause and think about it. Uh, You gave me a a little bit of heads up that that this was going to be the introduction. And I've been thinking about it since then, thinking about it all day. The answer is, I don't know. Um, There have been times when I've had a purpose and that purpose has been crystal clear. When I was an officer in the Marine Corps, my purpose was to protect and support my Marines and to accomplish the missions that were given to us. Um, and nothing could be more clear than that. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't always succeed. Just because it's your purpose doesn't mean that success is guaranteed. Maybe quite the opposite. Um, there have been times seasonally where my purpose is to make sure that my hunters get to have a good experience and and uh, get an opportunity to get close to an elk um it, it just changes all the time and i think that people are constantly reinventing themselves and i'm definitely at a at a stage of my life right now where that that reinvention is required and once it happens Purpose will be the North Star. Purpose will be the direction and in that thing that gets me out of bed and gets me going in the morning. But right now, I'm adrift. Yeah, man, I, I really like that. And uh, hopefully, you know, throughout the the next hour, we can kind of hone in on some of that of, of what your past purposes have been and kind of what you're looking towards in the future. And, and I liked how you said that it's kind of like a North star, you know, maybe I haven't done a good job of clarifying this for some of my listeners, but I feel like sometimes even myself and my listeners, we think of a purpose as like a, uh, a definition of somebody, but I think it's more kind of like what you said as a, a direction of what we're trying to go. So like, for example, my, my purpose is to be, um, a good husband, a good father in the future, and then a leader to those around me. Kind of like you said, I don't think that's something that I can ever, if I'm doing it correctly, I don't think I can ever say I've achieved this. Like I have achieved success at this. It's, it's an aim. It's kind of like a, a order of man has hit one of his things is that balance is a verb. You never achieve balance. People are always trying to say like, oh, you try to find balance in your life. Well, it, balance is a verb. You're balancing consistently. And I think it's kind of the same thing, like you said, with purpose is that I don't know that we ever achieve success in our purpose, but it, it's a constant striving to to, to be better. It's, it's an ideal that we try to embody every single day. Um, I, I like the way you said that, that, that helps me kind of get an idea of where you're at and, uh, that'll help me going forward, uh, in my, in my next episodes. So that, that's really awesome, man. And, you know, balance is something that comes up all the time in my world with ecosystem management. 
and mm-hmm. especially because I'm I'm fairly indiscriminate in what I hunt. Um, I hunt animals that are that are interesting to me, animals that I enjoy eating, animals that I enjoy um, you know being in the same environment as, or animals that there are too many of. Uh, or they are causing problems wherever they are, regardless of their population. Um, and the criticisms that I often get are about ideals of balance. And mm-hmm. they'll say, well, no, if, if you just back out, then, you know, the, the wolves will only eat so many of these and the mountain lions and the coyotes will only eat so many of these and the bears will only eat so much of this. And then the elk and the bunny and the deer population is going to go down and then everything is just going to balance. Like, no, it doesn't. It's not a, it's not a terrarium <laughs> where you can just pull all the right levers and push all the right buttons. And then suddenly it's static and perfect. Um, yep. It doesn't work like that. So balance is a verb, man, with you a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, that that's stolen from Order of Man. I, I don't know; he may have got it from somewhere else too. Um, we all kind of say the same things, but um, yeah, it, it's it's so funny when you put it in terms of of an ecosystem. And I think that uh, one of the main reasons that I'm drawn to hunting and, and hunters, uh, and, and we'll get into our backgrounds uh, a little bit, uh, you know, later. But now that we're on this, let's, let's talk about this. Is that it's it's like a perfect representation of life, like the the wilderness, you know. People and my buddy Sam Pearson, who's been on the podcast multiple times, he always comments about how people are disconnected from nature, disconnected from not only like nature, nature, but their human nature, um, trying to balance an ecosystem and trying to be a hunter and, and be a steward of the land. It's it's a perfect uh, I mean, it, it is life. And there's a lot of parallels that are drawn to, you know, even having an office job and, and never, you know, never st- setting foot in the wilderness with a bow in hand. Um, you encounter a lot of those same struggles of finding balance. And it's just so, it's so perfectly depicted in the wilderness because you have even less control over what's like going on. Like, it's just so obvious that you can't control, you know, the wolf populations or like other than like killing and things like that, but you can't, you can't control what the wolves are going to do. It's, it's to me, it just, it creates a, a very good, uh, kind of analogy or a depiction of what's actually going on in our life that we can actually see and relate to it. Maybe an analogy is what I'm thinking, but do you, do you get what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And I agree. I think that, you know, control is a, uh, is a myth in almost every aspect mm-hmm. of our lives that mostly we operate with predictability algorithms that we develop from our own personal experience and, and what we've, what we've read or seen or heard and, you know, however we've learned things. And then, uh, you know, we take all that and we try to determine what's going to happen next. And if that outcome is consistent with what we expected, then that's what we think of as control. We think, okay, I was in control of that, but really you were just along for the ride and it went the way that you thought it would. If it doesn't go the way you think that it is or is going to, then you think that that's out of control or chaotic and, uh, man, that's, that's just ego getting in the way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm a big, uh, big Jocko fan. And so it's funny to hear you say that the, the ego is 90% of problems. The more and more I read of Jocko and listen to Jocko on, on podcasts and stuff like that, the, the ego that we have to think that we can control things or even sometimes that we think we can choose our purpose. Like sometimes like our purpose finds us, you know, uh, keeping in the theme of my podcast, the the ego that we have to think that sometimes we can demand that we're going to do this. I mean, if we just suck at singing and we don't have bars worth a damn and we just think that our purpose is to sing, like how egotistical is that to think that there's not something higher that, that can guide us towards a, towards a different purpose or a different path. You know what I mean? I, I really, I really like that. Um, to, to back up a little bit, give me a little bit of a background as far as where you're from, uh, kind of how did you get to be an outfitter and uh, just give me your story. Give me some of the adversity that you faced. I know that you're, you're a Marine. I listened to your background, but our listeners, um, a, a lot of them are not hunting enthusiasts like I am. A lot of them probably don't know who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your stint in the Marine Corps and uh, help them know uh, who is James Nash. Sure. Um I grew up here on the Sixth Ranch. The Sixth Ranch is located in Northeast Oregon. It's my family ranch, and it was founded in 1884. And that's about as old as the European settler history gets in this area. 
uh, it's a it's a privilege for me to to live here, and I there have been times that I took it for granted, but mostly mostly I'm very grateful and appreciative all the time, even when it sucks. So uh, growing up here on the ranch was definitely a challenge. Um, my mom uh, was uh, was raising us as a as a single mom, raising me and my little sister, and her brothers. Uh, all wanted to sell the ranch and she had four brothers. So we had to try and figure out how to, how to buy it from them. None of them lived here. So I started working full time at a, at a really early age. And, uh, and I continued that work. And I think that, that work has been something that I've, that I've relied on um, almost as a character trait throughout my life. Uh, you know, I, I was very active in sports here it's a small town, small community. We're a long ways from anything. It's uh, from where I'm talking right now. It's 76 miles to the nearest stoplight and it's about four hours to the nearest parking meter. Uh, So it's, it's a pretty rural place and there's not a lot of people. I think we've got 65,000 cows and a little over 7,000 people, but it's real pretty. And, uh, and like I said, I, I like it anyways. Uh, Going through school, real active in sports. I started uh, started the high school rodeo team here, and that that was a lot of fun. I competed in track and wrestling, football, cross country. Um, I won uh, won some competitions in uh, in trap shooting and, and cowboy action shooting. Won a lot of competitions in archery, and uh, and then in high school, I decided I'd go on a foreign exchange, and I went to Norway for a year. I wrestled on their national team and got to compete internationally there. Came back and finished my senior year of high school and uh, started applying to, to colleges and military academies. And I, I got into all the military academies. And, uh, you know, I had the, the lowest GPA that West Point had ever accepted, which I'm kind of proud of. And uh, I awesome. decided to, <laughs> to, go, to go ahead and and uh and take a different route i was everybody wanted me to wrestle for him and i was pretty tired of dieting because i'd been doing that so hard for so long uh i went to montana western dylan montana and i was on the rodeo team there i studied literature and writing and wildlife biology but i i graduated with a degree in literature and writing and then i went into the marine corps um went to officer candidate school Started out with uh, like 680 guys, graduated with 223, if I remember right. And uh, in training uh, a few months later, where where we compete for our jobs, as an officer, you don't know what job you're going to have. So you're competing against all your peers in in physical fitness, in leadership, and in academics to see, you know, where you rank out. And uh, there's only two spots available for for tank officers and a lot of guys wanted those and I was fortunate enough to get one of those spots. So I became a tanker and I stayed in the Marines for, for five years. I deployed to Afghanistan, pretty tough deployment. Um, I was wounded twice there. I lost, uh, lost one of my Marines, several other of my Marines were wounded. And then I went to wounded warrior battalion um, after I finished the deployment, spent a uh, year and a half or so there, and then was medically retired and returned to the Sixth Ranch. I uh, wasn't really physically able to do the, the ranch work anymore, so I started guiding fishermen. And then I started adding hunts to that business. And what started out as six Ranch Fly Fishing became six Ranch Outfitters. And that business really, really grew. And now I do all kinds of things within, within that umbrella. And I, I consult for, for private landowners on wildlife management. I work as an ambassador for a lot of different brands, um, both in promoting their products and then helping them to develop them. I'm a writer. I am, uh, am published just about every month and I write about a, a variety of topics, but most of them are, are gun and hunting related. And we still do some, still, still do some fly fishing and a few other types of fishing. And, uh, yeah, gosh, I've got a lot of jobs. So when people ask me what I do, 
I kind of ask them how much time is on their hands because, you know, I've got the ranch and the, the podcast and the outfitting and the ambassador work. And um, I usually, you know, forget about one of my jobs. And when it comes to tax season, it's like, holy cow, this is getting complicated. But uh, again, I, I've continued that that trend of of working hard and using using labor and persistence to to overcome obstacles. And and that's what's gotten me to where I am here today talking to you, Haas. Well, man, I really appreciate that. And it's, it's obvious that you've lived a, a very full life. Um, I mean, even in high school, you, you went on a foreign exchange program in high school. You just, it seems like you, uh, have a desire for experiences and seem to make the most of, of where you're at. Um, that's, that's awesome. First of all, I want to thank you for, uh, for your service and, and what you did over, um, overseas. That's, pretty, I mean, really important and vital to all the things that we do here today. I mean, your outfitting business, this podcast, it wouldn't be possible without sacrifices like that. And, and myself, I've never been in the military, but I, I have uh, a cousin that's a Marine that, that went over and did some of those things. And um, pretty, pretty close to me, I, I listen to a lot of, of military guys, a lot of veterans, and some of the stuff that y'all have pushed through, some of the stuff that you have to deal with um, is really uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to throw out the word inspirational because I feel like a lot of vets <laughs> don't really enjoy that, but it, it's just, it, it means a lot for, for what you did. And, and like I said, first of all, thank you for, for that sacrifice. Um, well, thank you for saying so. You know, um, if I can just touch on that for a second, a lot yeah, of guys, as, especially, especially army dudes, but a lot of Marines too, um, they'll cite the reason that they were able to endure adversity as um, the man to the left and the right, right? You'll, you'll hear mm-hmm. that all the time from veterans. Like you're not going to let your brother or your sister down. And that's true. That is resolute. That is concrete. Um, but there's something else that doesn't get talked about. And that is that not a single one of us would have stepped up if we didn't love every person who wasn't going to or wasn't able to. So without right. coming from a great nation full of great people, we wouldn't do it. Once you're there, yeah, it's it's your left and right. But to take that first step, that critical step, um, that's about who you love at home. Yes, sir. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it's good. Uh, I know Evan. Have you listened to Evan Hay for much Black Rifle Coffee? You know, I've met Evan a couple times. He actually grew up not too far away from me. Um, yeah, he's a he's he's a chaotic creature. Um, that guy is high yeah, energy. He is. Um, he's he's so unpredictable. Very smart. Uh, I like Evan a lot. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think it was on the. Uh, I think it was on Cleared Hot. It was either on Joe Rogan or Cleared Hot. But when he was talking about all of his uh, antics in South America and stuff like that. And, uh, he, he said something about how, like to non-veterans, he was like, hell man, like, yeah, it was, it was, it was rough and like experienced some bad shit. He said, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, you know, I got to do some really cool shit. You know what I mean? For, for when I went in, I guess he did a bunch of special forces stuff, you know, but, uh, yeah, man, it's definitely uh symbiotic and we couldn't do what we do without, you know, y'all going and doing what y'all do. And it's, it's, it's vice versa. So, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. And thank you. Um, so I wanted to get into kind of, uh, number one, I think it's really cool. Do you write any poetry? Cause you definitely give me like Western poet vibes, like Louis Memoir, uh, who's it like JB Sauceda, I think is, um, but do you, do you write any poetry? Do you any of the Western Western poetry? I used to. And in fact, this is like one of this is a great source of like childhood trauma. I used to have to compete in cowboy poetry competitions as a little kid in front of great big <laughs> audiences. And it was awful. I hated it. Uh, but looking back, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, cowboy poetry is, has got an interesting niche within, uh, within literature and it's lyrical. It's oftentimes comical. It's uh, it's occasionally heartbreaking and the very best of them are, are all of those simultaneously. And there are some wonderful, wonderful cowboy poets out there. Baxter Black is one of them. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, just, just fantastic cowboy poets. Uh, it was never a genre that I felt very comfortable writing in. The, uh, the poetry that I 
preferred um, both reading and, and writing or free verse or or some form of that um, I think that there's there's value in um, in structure and in rhyming but uh, but I'm I'm probably not flexible enough to do it you know I would rather have the just right word than the word that that will work in rhymes um, right. I have I have such respect for people that that can write in in iambic pentameter and in even um, even some free verse uh, it, it's just it's phenomenal the skill that they have and the command they have of their vocabulary in the English language uh, I've lost a lot of that I used to be so much better at it um, you know just the nature of of uh, some of the injuries that I got, like I, I got a couple brain injuries that were pretty severe when I was in Afghanistan. It, it has cost me um, a really significant amount of my intelligence and my ability to to think of the right word. Um, I, I, I still manage, uh, but I used to be a lot better. And uh, yeah, but uh, you know, Poetry can take uh, take all kinds of forms. There's a guy named uh, James Galvin. He's an author. Um, I believe he's a professor for the University of Iowa or Illinois, maybe. I can easily get those two states confused, even though they're very different. Apologize to the, the good folks of the Midwest. <laughs> um, he wrote a book called The Meadow, and uh, it's, a, it's a novel. Um, it's as good of a piece of literature as exists um, from any time period about the American West. And, uh, and he is a, a poetry professor, I believe, and that bleeds into his style, but only in the most subtle of ways. Uh, yeah, just a tremendous book, The Meadow is. Awesome. I, I appreciate that. I just wrote that down and uh, it may not be your favorite book, but one thing I do want to ask you before I forget is we typically do some rapid fire, but um, I wanted to, I, I kind of jumped into the episode forgetting about the rapid fire, but what is your favorite book and why? Mm. Um, the Meadows right in there. Uh, gosh, favorite book. You know, I would be remiss if I did not say um, A River Runs Through It and Other Stories by Norman McLean. Now, A River Runs Through It gets all the credit there, but when you buy that book, you get two novellas and a short story. A no novella is a, is a small novel. So River is, is relatively short. I think it's less than 70 pages. Um, so you get A River Runs Through It, and then you get this short story uh, called Logging, Pimping, and My Pal Jim, which is like 10 pages long, <laughs> and it's incredible. Uh, and then... You get another novella in the back of it called USFS 1919, The Ranger, The Cook, and A Hole in the Sky. And they're, they're all tremendous, River being, being the best. But just because, um, you know, young Brad Pitt was in a movie based on the book doesn't discredit uh, the works that came after that. Norman McLean was a, was a good guy, and he was a tremendous author. And uh, I think that A River Runs Through It is is nearing nearing perfection in literature uh and he was able to pull it off in a lot shorter uh in a lot shorter piece than most authors require a lot of authors can't get going until they hit 100 pages and i think that is inexcusable so yeah i'm gonna give it to river Awesome. I just wrote that down. I've, I've never read it. I think I watched the movie once. Um, I'm not, so I'm asking literary questions. I'm not huge on like, like you said something, you, you said a lot of technical terms about poetry that I had no clue what they meant. Um, but I'm trying to get into it. And so I appreciate that note there. I, I wrote a lot of it down. If you can see, I'm not keeping eye contact because I'm, I'm taking notes, but, uh, one, one thing that we do here at the purpose that we started this month is called the purpose book club. Um, and I've actually got to record my last episode for that after this. Uh, and what I, what I do, what I'm trying to do is go through books and help people kind of get a deeper people like me who are cavemen when it comes to reading, um, help them get a deeper understanding of, of certain books. And we started with a nonfiction called the comfort crisis, but I think next, I'm going to do Blood Meridian. I don't know if you've heard of Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Of course. Um, it, there's, you, you've mentioned two books that you said are, are highlights of the American West, and I'm going to take your word for it because 
you obviously know about the American West. You're you're steeped in in cowboy and ranching culture. Uh, Blood Meridian is by people that maybe don't know a lot about the West considered the ultimate novel about the American West. So I'm going to be interested to see how those stack up. And I think we're going to do that in, in March. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate your comments there because you're giving me a lot of, uh, a lot of info because I love Western novels. I, I come from cowboy culture, but I'm not really steeped in it. Kind of like you are kind of straight away from, from the family ties, but uh, this stuff is really cool. So I appreciate that. For, for sure. Yeah, um, and if you're talking Cormac McCarthy, dude, all the pretty horses. Um, that yeah. that uh, you know, it's it's still gritty. You know, Cormac can't write anything that isn't gritty. Uh, but the the character development and the way that you feel like you know those individuals by the end of it, I think is probably probably his best work. My opinion. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. And he did, he did no country for old men, correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm excited to dive into some of that. Uh, I think the, the only reason I really picked blood Meridian first was because have you heard of martyr maid? Um, no Braxton Braxton loves the martyr maid podcast. It's a, it's a really long form history podcast where he goes over, I say it's history. He talks about some current events, basically just looking through the lens of like power and religion and multiple martyrs throughout society and, and war. And it, it's an excellent podcast. But anyway, he, he went over the blood, uh, blood Meridian book, I think as part of God, I, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck this up because he's got like so many hours and hours of content that, I can't remember what he, he did it for, but it may have been the Jewish-Palestinian conflict, I think, is what he was relating it to. Um, a lot of stuff in that book, I think he related it to the uh, the Jewish-Palestinian conflict. But anyway, anyway um, I'm so excited to read in them all. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I know we're, we haven't even talked much about your purpose since already at 26 minutes, but um, I, I'm really enjoying the conversation. It, it's kind of, I'm from Texas, and as you know, um, everything is bigger in Texas, even cowboy culture. And so it's been really cool as I've been connected to, to find the huge presence of cowboy culture in places like Oregon and Wyoming. And I think y'all are, I, I don't know what it is, but I think y'all are upholding the tradition a little bit more than what we are here in Texas. Um, you know, y'all are still dragging calves and throwing hula hands and, um, things like that. My uncle just moved up to Wyoming, uh, and he's in Cody, I think. Uh, he moved there from Wheeler, Texas, which we still do a lot of cowboy stuff here. You know, we get Western occasionally, but, um, you know, not, it, it just seems like y'all uphold the culture a little bit better. You know, the cowboy poetry, things like that. They, I don't think they really do cowboy poetry contests in grade schools here in Texas anymore. And so it's really <laughs> cool to see y'all. It's really cool to see y'all holding that line. And, you know, people like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Coulter Wall, Um, you know, he's, he's holding the line up there and frontier days and Calgary and all that stuff. It from, from an observant cowboy, you know, somebody who grew up on a, on a little bit of a ranch and has been steeped in the culture, you know, I wear a cowboy hat all the time just cause that's what my family did. Um, it's just really cool to see y'all holding that line and something that I never thought existed growing up. I would never have been like, Oh, you know, there's super cowboy, there's super punchers, you know, from Oregon. I never would have thought that was. That was true, but it's it's cool to see y'all holding that line. And let's take it to a little bit more content for the viewers. What does that tradition mean to you? And uh, you know, upholding those American Western traditions. What what does that mean to you? And why is it so important? Because it seems like it is. Yeah, it's we uh, we distilled our core values here on the Sixth Ranch down to to three categories. One of them is is conservation of the environment and managing the ranch for the benefit of wildlife. And another is upholding traditional cowboy values. Uh, now I, I was never all that fond of riding horses. Um, and that surprises the hell out of a lot of people. Cause I guided off horses. You know, I, I, I rodeoed in, in high school and college grew up on a cattle ranch. We still have horses um, but I just never, uh, never got a lot of enjoyment out of riding them. I did when it was the right tool for the job. And since you're talking about like holding the, the line and keeping these, these traditions alive, our terrain here is a forcing factor of that. Cause there's a hell of a lot of places in my area that you cannot get to without a horse. Um, and you mm-hmm. can get there on foot, but it's going to take too long for you to get in and out of there in a day. 
So the, the ranch that my dad managed when I was growing up, my folks are, are, are separated. So my mom had the sixth ranch. My dad was managing another place in the area. Um, it was gosh, like 120,000 acres. You know, it would take four months to gather cattle in the fall. We'd have to fly airplanes to find the cattle. And if you found a pot of them, you know, you might have to ride 30 or 40 miles in a day in some of just the steepest stuff that you can imagine. Um, so a lot of that is, is just still alive because it's, it's the right tool, right? You wear a cowboy hat because it can keep your head warm in the winter and shady in the summer. You wear a silk scarf because it does the same thing. It keeps you cool in the summer and warm in the winter. You can use it to, um, to hold up a broken arm or to tourniquet off something that's bleeding. There's a lot of things that, uh, that you can do with a silk scarf besides, you know, try and look cool in, in the desert someplace. Uh, <laughs> yep. So while that tra- tradition here is still very much alive and, you know, we've got, we've still got our professional rodeos and we've got our, our ranch rodeos and all that. Um, I think a lot of it is just because it's, it's still the right tool for the job. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, the terrain factor does that. I I get that because, uh, in Texas uh, terrain, it doesn't, we don't really have it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, even, even down in the hill country, yeah, there's some steep stuff. There's, you know, some cliffs, things like that. You know, even where I'm at in Amarillo, um, there's a big, uh, a big kind of set of breaks that the Canadian river runs through and a lot of ranches out there, you know, that, yeah, there's some areas that you have to be on horseback. Um, you know, even hunting, it would be awesome if I actually, if I had gotten into riding horses and if I really liked it when I was a kid, I probably would be, I probably would be a day hand because that's, I mean, that's kind of what my family was going towards. Uh, I didn't like riding horses like you. It just didn't interest me. I was into the cool things, cars, guns, you know, new, new ARs, things like that. I didn't have any time for horses. It was football and guns and um, bows. Horses kind of took a back seat and that's kind of why I ended up where I'm at. But it does make sense because in Texas, we, we just have the ability to use those four wheelers or, I mean, fuck helicopters. They use helicopters to, to, you know, do herd counts, things like that, um, all the time here, um, on those big ranches. I, that's, that's probably, yeah. I mean, on those big ranches, cause I mean, you know, it is Texas. We do have plenty of big ranches. Um, it's not like they're all broken up as, you know, as of now they're, they're getting broken up, but, um, yeah, they just use helicopters to, to do those things and ragers and, and razors and stuff like that. Um, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. And then, you know, the old horse trailers and like th- those things are gone. Now we're rolling big outlaw, outlaw custom trailers with the sleepers inside of them for, you know, two horses. It's a 50 foot, you know, gooseneck and they're rolling up to the ropings every weekend. It, it's kind of turned into that, that type of thing. Um, yeah, so I like that. It is just the right tool for the job. Yeah. And, you know, look, there's, there's still plenty of, of real cowboys out there in, in any state that's got a cow. And that's, that's yep. j- just the way of it. And I don't care if you're in, in Vermont or, or Texas or Oregon or, or someplace in between, but man, I love Texas. I was down there a couple of weeks ago. Texans are awesome people. You guys have great food. It's cool country. You're proud of your state. You're good hosts. You have awesome hunting. And, uh, man, I, I just, I love it down there. I love it so much. And I feel bad for you guys because it is such a great state, such a free state that you've attracted like the Californians and and some oh, some, pe- yeah. some people that are that are dragging you down, and it's too bad. I hate to see that happen, but gosh, it it is still just a wonderful place with really really good people. Um, I I've never had a bad experience in Texas. I don't know if I ever will. You guys are awesome. And I want you to keep being who you are. Yeah, man. Well, I really appreciate that. And yeah, and don't take anything as what I'm the biggest Texas stand in the world. Um, I actually, I descended from Sam Houston. I'm a direct descendant. So I love Texas and uh, I appreciate everything you said because I think it's true. Yeah. Um, I really do love living here and uh, we do. I mean, we've got some of those super punchers out there that are, that are still holding the line out there. I guess my comment is more, I was just surprised to hear it from, you know, from the organs and the, and the, 
you know, hell, even like Idaho and California, I, it was just, it was shocking to me because I've been told all my life that Texas is the only place you can find that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, and you, your comment on the transfers, you know, my dad is one of those super, um, hardcore rush, rush Limbaugh right wingers that thinks that it's all 100% bad that the people are transferring here. And I, I tend to believe some of that in Austin. I think that a lot of the guys in Austin are coming here that don't really share our values. And I think value alignment is really important, but man, I think there are a lot of transplants that are coming here because of kind of like what you said, they visited once and then their state has just gone downhill and they love the time that they visit. And now they're coming here and really, uh, I think they're helping to hold the line too. Of course I'm in Amarillo. So, I mean, you're not going to move to Amarillo unless you really, really want to. Um, I, my parents are from Stephenville, and that's a little bit closer to Austin, and they're seeing some of that transfer. And it it is really tough. And I, I think that because of the the nature of Texans and how we don't really <laughs> – a lot of Texans don't really uh, care uh, how we offend you or, you know, like uh, we're very outward with our feelings about things. I think that um, – I think it would be pretty hard to really sway the direction that the state is going. Um, Austin will sway Houston. I mean, hell, they're already there. I don't, I don't, they don't have anything to sway to. They're already, I mean, little mini California. But uh, I think that Texas as a whole will hopefully hold the line. And, and obviously, I appreciate the kind words because it's 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 my home. And I, I don't know that I could ever truly leave. I think I will always have to own a piece of property in Texas. I don't know that I could ever um, truly pick up and move. So, well, look, I get it. I had a, I had a breakfast taco in Lakey, Texas two weeks ago. Oh, yep. Life-changing, life-changing breakfast taco. That was so incredible. <laughs> and if I, if I'd walked out and seen a for sale sign, I'd be like, I'm buying it. I don't know if I can afford it or not, but I need to live closer to these tacos. It's just the truth of it, <laughs> but I've got to check myself because I've got, I've got a good thing going on here. This is my home. This, this place is part of who I am. And you know, yep. some of my favorite people and really a, truly a watermark, I believe of, of people that I enjoy being around, uh, they are connected to the place that they come from in a way that it mm-hmm. is part of who they are. So, yep. you know, if I look out this window right here and I see this draw and I see this mountain range and I see the prairie, like those, those terrain features the weather that rips across them, all of that is part of who I am. And I think that all of that is part of who you are as somebody from Amarillo, Texas. And uh, it, it's just somebody who doesn't have any connection to the place that they come from. Uh, they're, they're lacking something that is critical to being a human. Yeah, true. And and I think that calls back to uh, uh, a topic that we've been kind of flirting with on the Purpose Podcast for a while. And it comes from uh, the book, The Comfort Crisis, is that those, I think the smaller community, and I think that has to do with what you're saying, it, it ties you to where you come from, that what that means is that you're more connected with your community, more connected with your surroundings, more connected with the things outside of you and, and the nature of of your being and your environment. Uh, I think it really does something to people and helps them be a little bit more, not only down to earth, but just more grounded and know who they are and who their values are. And that's something, like you said, that people like us are attracted to um, because they know who they are and, and they're, they're outward with that. They, they have certain unique tendencies because they know their place in their environment. And uh, what, what am I trying to say? Uh, they just, they know who they are. You know what I mean? A lot of people walk through this life without knowing, um, for a good example, and this is not a knock on you, but they, they walk through their whole life without knowing what their purpose is or where they fit into their community. Um, and they never want to try. They never want to try to get out of their community or see where they're from. You know, a lot of people live in Texas and they just hate Texas for no reason. They don't, they don't care about the rolling hills in the hill country or the flatlands of Lubbock or, you know, the canyons north of Amarillo. They don't care about any of that. And, uh, I think it creates a lot of jadedness and a lot of negativity and it really puts people off. And I think that's what you see in kind of bigger cities is that they don't care where they're from. They don't have any pride in, in where they're from in their community. Uh, and it just creates somebody that you don't really want to be around. You know what I mean? Does that make, is that making any sense? I'm spitballing. No, it, it does make sense. I agree with you. Yes, sir. And so let's, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, about purpose. Um, the, the reason we're here, do you think that you find 
I know you said that you don't have a, a much broader purpose um, as of right now that you're, you're kind of in a transition state of reinventing yourself and that it was a hard question to answer. Um, let's, let's work through that a little bit and see what uh, you talked about in the Marine Corps, what your purpose was in the Marine Corps. Uh, what's, what do you kind of feel is next? Um, are you looking at, it's my understanding you don't have a wife or kids, do you? Um, no, I do not. Okay. So, so uh, and that's not specific, but I, I'm just yeah. asking, cause I didn't, I didn't know like what, what is next? Is it a wife and kids? Is it a new business? Is it a new, um, ranch? What, what is on the horizon and what do you think you might be able to find purpose in, in the future? Oh, well, it, it's easy for me to find purpose, but I don't know if I could find one that, you know, is, is a guiding principle for the rest of my life. It would be great if I could find something like that. Um, but earlier today, my my purpose was finishing off a, a juniper a juniper board that I had milled and sanded down. I wanted to make this, you know, five foot long charcuterie board, and I wanted it to have a trough in the middle, and it needed to look like it was like it was hand hewn and chiseled out. Um, but I wanted to do it all with power tools. My purpose was to finish that board in time to get back here to do this podcast. And I got that done. So it's behind my wood stove right now. It's got olive oil over the top of it. It's beautiful. It's popping all these reds and purples and and these really pretty blonde colors that only an old juniper can really throw at you. And uh, that's done. So now what? Right. And this is something that has has haunted me my whole life is that I will set out a goal and no matter how ambitious I've set it, I've achieved it. And for me, there's nothing, nothing in the world less satisfying than achieving a goal. It is emptiness. I only like trying to get there. And once I've got there, gosh, it, it just sucks. I don't, I, don't, I don't love winning. I hate losing. So as soon as it's accomplished, it's over and I've got to find something else. And, uh, mm-hmm. and while that might sound like, like I can't pick a direction in, in reality, it's that I'm picking lots of directions. I'm achieving them and then I'm moving on and I'm remaining flexible in my capabilities. Um, and, and trying to, trying to develop myself more and more as a man and as a human, um, in my capabilities and in my understanding and my experiences. Yeah, man, I, I really like that. And, uh, you know, what, Tyler Geiger, the, the, uh, guest that I had on a couple of weeks ago, he, he does Montana Knox, uh, the hunting podcast. He was talking about, he said that his purpose was to, uh, always strive to exceed his full potential or something like that. I don't have it written down, but that, that kind of, and I'm not trying to like assign you a purpose. That's not what I'm trying to do because I, I'm here to learn from you and, and how you live your life, but it sounds kind of similar is that you don't really necessarily have a big masterful goal, but whatever you do, you put 100% of your effort into it and you always make sure that you're, you're doing your best and um, achieving something, no matter what that is, you know, whether it's, you don't, you don't have the same thing every day, but um, your goal in life seems to be to do things to the best of your ability and, and to do things that you enjoy. Is that, somewhat correct. Yeah, somewhat correct. I don't know about the enjoy part of it so much. Um, I'm pretty cautious of the things that I enjoy. I think that there, there can be a trap there and I, I don't ever want to fall into it. I don't want to become hedonistic, but I also don't want to live this, you know, purposeful austerity where, where I avoid uh, where I avoid pleasure and, and enjoyment and satisfaction. But mm-hmm. like I said earlier, satisfaction for me comes in the process and in the trying, not, not in the achieving there's, you know, I, I don't want to stand on top of a podium. Um, I, I want to earn the right to do it, but I don't want to stand up there. I'd, I'd rather just move on to the next. It kind of sounds like uh, some of those. I'm sure you know what a ghostwriter is. Um, I don't. Some of those people that get. Oh, oh so like I, I just heard this and I made. Oh, I may like be completely like everybody, wrong, but, like everybody that writes novels for the Navy SEALs. 
Yeah, sure. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the people that enjoy that process of writing and, and yeah, they get paid hefty for it, but they don't necessarily need their name on the book. Um, they just enjoy to do it. Maybe that's not their motivation at all, but that, that sounds kind of, kind of similar that you're not looking for the pat on the back. You're not looking for the, the Instagram post or the achievement. You're truly in it for the grind. Um, for, for the grind and, and the development that you get along the way. And I think there's something pretty beautiful in that, in that um, I, a lot of people, I would say even including myself, is that uh, I look to achieve goals for the achievement of goals. The, the process, I'm coming to enjoy the process more, but it's it's less about the process and more about stamping my foot in the ground saying, I achieved this. Uh, I think that I get caught up in that a lot of times and it leads me to either A, not finish things or um, be not be as fulfilled when that achievement wasn't as good as what I thought it was going to be. I think it's a much, I don't know if we want to get into terms like better or worse, but I think it's a, a very different and a pretty beautiful way to live that you really just enjoy the process that you like getting things to completion, but the achievement isn't really what you're looking for. I, I appreciate that. And I think that a lot of my viewers or listeners, I don't, I don't do videos. A lot of my listeners will appreciate that and uh, find some personal connection with, with the way you live your life. I, I think that's awesome, man. Well, let's dip back into poetry. Um, Robert service. You ever come across him? No, sir. I haven't. The Robert service was a, was a contemporary of Jack London, but he was a poet. Um, whereas Jack London was a novelist. Uh, Jack Lennon also wrote uh, short stories, and I think some of his very best work were short stories, by the way. Um, and if you were to to take it down to one, it would be To Build a Fire. As far as short stories go, um, To Build a Fire by Jack London, uh, Clean, Well-Lighted Place by Hemingway, probably as, as good as America's ever produced, maybe with something from Edgar Allan Poe thrown in there. But back to Robert Service, he wrote a lot about the Yukon, um, about the Klondike gold rush. And, uh, he wrote a poem called the spell of the Yukon. And while I could recite it for you, I'm not going to, because I want you to read this and hear it in your own voice or hear it in someone else's that, that exists in your mind for reading, but it gets exactly to the point that we're talking about. And, uh, there's, there's one line in the first stanza where, where he's talking about, first or second stanza where he's talking about uh, you know, what it took to go after gold in the North country. And he says, uh, I hurled my youth into a grave. Holy shit. Can you imagine doing such a thing? Right. Can you imagine wanting anything so much that youth, the thing that every age group covets so much that you would murder it so that you could continue after this prize. Uh, it's incredible. So spell of the Yukon by Robert service, uh, worth reading. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that, that is really profound. And, um, I'm not, I don't, I don't have all the times the ability to understand like poetry and literature for the profoundness that it has. But, um, the way that you put it, it, it sounds, sounds like a lot can be gleaned from that. And I'm working towards, uh, being able to analyze those poems and I'll, I'll definitely hit that up and I'll put that the spell of the Yukon. I'll put a lot of these, uh, these works that you've mentioned in the description of the podcast so that my listeners can go and find that and appreciate you for dropping those, man. You're, you're very learned. Uh, you're very, um, knowledgeable on literature and, and, uh, hopefully in the future, I know you're a pretty busy dude, but I'd like to get more from you on that. Um, so yeah, you said, man. what was, uh, Hemingway's, uh, Hemingway's was a clean, well-lighted place. A clean, well-lighted place. Okay, cool. That's like two and a half pages. Um, so you, you, even the even the TikTokers can probably re- read uh, two and a half pages. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I can read them. I just have a hard time getting kind of like what you're getting out of it, um, dude. Don't even worry about. Let, let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. Don't even worry about that. I've been in a bunch of like literary theory classes where people yeah. would break down every single word and the line breaks, and you know maybe this was an intentional misspelling. Those people are so full of shit. It's incredible. <laughs> um, yep. in, in, yeah, they get some satisfaction and some, um, you know, some kind of academic exercise out of putting more into literature than the author did. And I used to think when I was in these classes, like, 
well, maybe I'm just not putting enough effort into, into picking the words that I'm picking and putting them in the order that, that I'm putting them in. And now at this stage of my life, I'm 36 years old, been published and anthologized. Um, I've done a lot of reading. I can comfortably say that no author is putting as much thought into this as uh, some of these <laughs> some of these literary critics think that they are. So, yeah, don't worry about like trying to find the hidden meaning. You read a guy like Robert Service, and it's like, oh yeah, I know exactly what he meant. Um, and I think that's awesome. that that that's beautiful, and that should be a goal in all forms of communication is to try to simplify the subject so that people can understand it. Cause any idiot can make something more complicated, but it takes real genius to simplify something in a way that people can understand it. And those are, those are the pieces that I gravitate towards because I think that, that the authors were genius. Awesome, man. Really appreciate that. And I, and I couldn't agree with you more. I, I liked literature when I was growing up, got away from it. But, uh, yeah, the, the teachers that always made too big of a deal over a couple lines or sentences, it was, it was always really funny. And I appreciate your note on that because I think a lot of, a lot of guys that I know listen to the podcast, um, they have a hard time with that as well. And, and coming from obviously, uh, somebody who studied literature, I think that makes us feel a lot better of, Hey, maybe we're not, maybe we're not dumb cavemen. Uh, it's just not that complicated. So. Yeah, it's not that complicated. And then if it comes across as complicated, read something else, man. Like there's a there's a <laughs> lot of stuff out there to read. Uh, that that author obviously isn't communicating with you in a way that you're ready to understand. So don't even waste your time on it. Just move on. Awesome, brother. Well, we've talked about a lot of good stuff. Uh, I did want to ask, and uh, so a lot of this podcast is aimed towards uh helping men be better and uh improve their lives and the lives of those around them um you had talked about how you grew up with a with a single mom situation what are your thoughts on on the importance and and if if it's a touchy subject i, I don't know you very well so it may be and we don't have to talk about it but do you have any thoughts on the importance of men being there for their sons did you have a dad presence even though they weren't connected what, what are your thoughts on that and are there any anything coming from that experience that you can give to my listeners um to help them in their direction as they get married have sons or maybe they have um parents that aren't together what what can you give us and do you have any thoughts and meditations on that sure um and you know just to to make it clear my dad lived six miles away. I got to see my dad all the time. And, and I, I had a stepdad who had a lot of tremendous qualities too. Um, so I, I had a lot of positive male role models in my life and the men around here, uh, were and continue to be tough men. They're cowboys, they're loggers. Um, you know, they, they broke rocks and they made bronze and, you know, they were artists and, uh, they were incredible people and they, they worked hard and they loved their families. Uh, but I think that we need to, we need to develop leaders. And it was confusing to me growing up that everybody was subjected to leadership training. Like in, in FFA, everybody was, was uh, sort of groomed to be a leader. And in, in classes, everybody was exposed to this. And I didn't understand why. Because there can only, not everybody gets to be a leader. So why are we training everybody? And I realized later on that we, we give everybody the start to learning about leadership, um, which is really just being a good human uh, for the benefit of other humans. Uh, we, we do that for everybody because it's only going to take with a couple of them. The rest of them, it's not going to make any sense and they're not going to become leaders, but a couple of them are. There's a... Uh, there's some traits in the Marine Corps for, for leadership. And I've talked about them a lot before, but I'll rattle them off here. Um, because if you can develop these things in yourself and set the example for these traits for yourself, then your children will pick up on them because they're watching. So justice, judgment, dependability, integrity, decisiveness, tact, initiative, endurance, bearing, unselfishness, courage, knowledge, loyalty, and enthusiasm. 
Those are the leadership traits of the Marine Corps. If you can develop those in, in yourself and set that example, not only will you be a great leader, but you will make great leaders. And gosh, I'm desperate to see higher quality leadership in a lot of different areas right now. And we're capable of it as humans, but it is important that we understand what the traits of a good leader are and to, to work towards um, the development of those both in ourselves and in others. That's awesome, man. I, I really like that note. And we're, we're big on leadership here. And uh, there's a lot to be learned from, from your experience in the military and, and uh, your words that you've just said there. And, and I agree. It, it was always kind of odd going through the FFA because I, w- I was an FFA kid too, um, did ag mechanics. And yeah, they did leadership training for everybody. And it was always kind of odd. But I think that uh, those those trainings and those classes and those things really helped turn a lot of kids around and, and made a positive impact on their life. And, um, I, I just, I couldn't agree more. You're, you're, you're taking all the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I don't know what to say and follow you up on that. Um, because you're just exactly right. We need more leaders and, uh, you know, everybody, everybody can be a leader and everybody is honestly called to be a leader, um, every day in some aspect, whether it's just to lead themselves, you know what I mean? You have to be a leader to yourself. Um, especially if you, you know, I, I mean, you just, you have to, you have to lead yourself into a positive direction and to do, um, good things on the daily. And so I couldn't agree with you more. And I tried to write those, uh, those notes down, but I will probably, uh, research them and, and put them out maybe with a poster, uh, in the Instagram, uh, description. You said those Marine Corps quality, uh, Marine Corps traits of leader, correct? Yeah. Le- yeah. Leadership traits. Um, and there's even a super annoying acronym to help you remember it, which is JJ did tie buckle. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to try to remember that. Okay. Good luck. Awesome, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Mr. Nash, uh, we are sitting at 56 minutes and you've given me a lot of good stuff. Uh, you're, you're very, very astute and very, very learned, very uh, sophisticated. And I think that our listeners are going to learn a, a whole lot from just this hour. I think they've gotten uh, a whole, uh, an extreme value of content just for this hour of listening, hearing from your experiences and hearing from uh, the way that you live your life. Do you have any final notes uh, or questions for me um, before we end this? No, um, there's a, uh... There's very little that that persistence and consistency cannot overcome. And what I found um, in my podcast specifically is that there is a week out of every month that I think, gosh, I don't want to do an episode this week. I don't want to mm-hmm. have to hustle up somebody and get them scheduled and then fight through the electronic breakdowns and then you know have them not show up like all the things that make it so hard to do a show every week um or one not every week but at least once a month one of those weeks i think well i'm just not going to do it but i haven't missed one yet i haven't missed one yet and if you can hold yourself to that standard with what you're doing right here you will be successful you'll your success will continue to increase and, uh, and I think that you're onto something because you have, you have this guiding principle of, of asking an important question that not enough people, including myself, are asking themselves in a meaningful way. So I just want to encourage you to stay consistent and, and be persistent and man, you'll, you'll take over the world. Awesome, man. I really appreciate that note. And that's, that's what I've heard from a ton of podcasters. Just keep hammering and keep that consistency on. And, and I, I really appreciate your basically uh, endorsement of what I'm trying to do here. Cause it, it means a lot, um, especially after conversating with you an hour, the fact that you're a, at least a, a proponent of what I'm trying to do here. It just, it means so much to me and I can't, can't thank you, uh, 
enough. Um, the, the only way that I can try to thank you enough is to let you, uh, once again, tell the, tell the listeners where you're at so that they can go find you and support you. Um, go listen to their podcast. Any of my dudes that are super into hunting, or if you're not into hunting and you want to learn more about it, uh, his podcast is great. I actually, um, I had only followed you on Instagram until today when I was like, Oh man, this guy's got a podcast. I finally realized it. And I listened to two or three episodes today. Um, to, to kind of see what you were about and dude, they're, they're just awesome. And, and I really love what you're doing. Um, so let the people know where they can find you. And, uh, for anybody listening to this, if I ask you in the next couple of weeks, Hey, have you listened to the purpose podcast? And you're like, no, man, I'm listening to the, the six ranch podcast. I'll be okay with it. Oh, it'll, it'll be okay. <laughs> uh, cause I know you're getting value over there, but tell the people where they can find you. Thank you. Um, you can find me at the six ranch podcast anywhere that you, um, get podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram, Six Ranch Outfitters, Six Ranch Podcast, or the Six Ranch. And uh, yeah, I, I also um, encourage folks to to reach out, send me a message. I I still am able to respond to everybody. It won't always be that way, um, but I read every message and I respond to everybody, and I try to help people as much as I can because there was a lot of people that didn't help me when I was getting started, and I didn't like that, and I don't want to be that person. Well, dude, you're, you're doing an awesome job. And, uh, if you've got a few minutes outside of the podcast, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin all of our good inspirational talk with this, but, um, if you don't mind staying on a little bit, I've got some questions for you, uh, hunting specific, but, um, you got it. Anyway, guys, I, Awesome, man. Thank you. Um, anyway, guys, I really appreciate you listening. That was James T. Nash. I like how he included, dude, you're born to be a Western writer, James T. Nash. He even put the middle <laughs> initial in there. It wasn't just James Nash. It was James T. Nash. And, uh, I think, uh, I'm going to post, if you, if you don't mind sending me a headshot, uh, preferably in your most Western getup so I can uphold this, uh, this ideal image that I've got of you in my head, even though I'm looking at you. Uh, if you don't mind sending me a picture so that I can post it for these guys, you're just an awesome dude. And you've given me a, a lot to go forward with on specifically literature and what we can find from literature. And, uh, and again, the, I think your purpose was, um, was honestly it, profound, uh, to a certain extent and, uh, really means a lot. And I think a lot of people will glean from that, but anyway, uh, thanks guys for listening to the podcast. Go listen to, uh, Mr. James T Nash, where you can find him, go follow him on Instagram. He deserves all of your support. Uh, once again, thank you for your service and, uh, we'll see you on the next episode guys.